My theme is Christian communion and hungry people. Uh, I'll start and end with the two Bible lessons that we have just heard. But then I also want to talk about the possibility of dramatic progress against hunger in our country and the world, and what each of us can do through advocacy to make dramatic progress possible. The first lesson we heard was from 1 Corinthians. St. Paul repeats the words that Jesus said at the first communion meal. Jesus said, this bread is my body broken for you. This blood is the new covenant in my blood shed for you. Uh, we'll celebrate communion this morning. We remember the forgiving death of Jesus Christ, which really is at the core and the origin of Christian faith. It's, it's the way we most clearly know the embrace of God the way we experience God's communion with us. And part of that then is to be put in communion with everybody else. St. Paul also talks about the problem that uh, some of the people in the church were hungry and they went ahead and some people were eating and drinking. They had a kind of a, a dinner a meal, and then they ended with the communion uh, service itself. And some people were eating and drinking, and some people didn't have anything to eat. And Paul said, if you ignore the hungry people, you turn the sacrament into a sacrilege. Because the communion that God has initiated with us is now also a communion that we have with everybody. We have with all racial and ethnic groups, people on the other side of the world, and certainly with people who can't feed their kids. I think we all know that there are a lot of people in the world who are really hungry, really poor, really in trouble. Also, we have a lot of people in our own country, this very blessed country, uh, who don't always get enough to eat, who can't put food on the table sometimes. In this beautiful state of North Carolina, 15% of the people live in households that run out of food. North Carolina is the 10th hungriest state in the country. But I think the, the most important thing to know about hunger is that this is a problem on its way to being solved. The world as a whole, by any measure, has made spectacular progress against hunger, poverty, and disease over the last several decades. I think those of us who believe in the God of the Bible, the God of history, have to see that this is God, act, our loving God, active in our own history. It's like the exodus of the Bible, a great liberation in our time. In our own country, uh, we haven't made as, the progress hasn't been as dramatic as in many other countries, including really poor countries. But 
there were, there were probably twice as many people who are, were hungry and poor in the early 60s as there are today. So God is doing a great thing. We've made progress against hunger. We know a lot about how to proceed and push toward the end of hunger. There are lots of ways we can help hungry people and lots of things that have to happen. People need to work hard to provide for their own kids, to make a better life for their children. Businesses provide jobs. Hopefully they're good jobs. They treat their people well. Uh, community groups work with individuals in a very important way. But we also need to be involved in as active citizens on issues of hunger, poverty, and justice. Um, you know, there just is no way that the city of Durham, for example, can make dramatic progress against hunger if the federal government isn't providing the kind of system in which cities, states, communities can work, people can work together to make progress. Uh, I think the best way uh, for me to tell you about Bread for the World is to talk about a couple of uh, everyday saints who are part of Bread for the World. Bread for the World is, uh, and then I want to talk about what you can do, what we can do. Bread for the World is a Christian advocacy movement to end hunger. It includes, um, we have strong support from a wide away, array of church bodies, Catholics, and um, virtually all stripes of Protestants, conservatives, liberals, there are Republicans and Democrats from Congress on my board. Um, we have about two million people who are active in speaking to Congress with Bread for the World across the country. But I'd like to tell you first about Pat Pelham of Birmingham, Alabama. Um, just so you can see what one person can do uh, Pat um, got involved in Bread for the World in the late 1990s. She was a young mother, had a couple children. And one morning in her morning prayers, it was sort of like Paul, of, Paul going on the road to Damascus. You know, she felt like God was calling her to do something about the suffering in Africa. Um, well, her husband had a job in Birmingham. He couldn't move. They had small children. So eventually she found her way to her pastor and he said, well, why don't you get involved in Bread for the World? And she and her friend Elaine Van Cleve did. It happened that at about that same time, the, many of the poorest nations of the world, many countries in Africa, had accumulated unpayable, impossible debts. There is no such thing as international bankruptcy. So these countries were just stuck. And, Mozambique, for example, was sending in debt service payments out of the country more money than they were spending on the health and education of their own people. And there was no way out. So Bread for the World and a lot of church, country, church groups around the world were trying to figure out, well, what could we do to deal with that big problem? And it turns out that uh, Pat Pelham's member of Congress was 
uh, Spencer Backus. He's a conservative Republican um, who chaired the committee who, that had jurisdiction over international banking matters. So uh, Pat and three friends from her church, Independent Presbyterian Church, uh, at their own expense came up to Washington. They met with uh, Mr. Backus. They spoke from their heart about why they thought this was important, what was really motivating them, and he was convinced. He became a very unlikely and very persistent advocate for international debt relief over the next two years, while Congress considered first U.S. participation in some kind of international debt relief scheme and then funding for it. Part of the deal in the end was that the countries that received debt relief had to use the money that they saved on education and health for their own people. And so in the 10 years after the debt relief initiative began, the number of children in Afri African schools went up by 50 million, mainly girls, because before that, the parents had to keep their girls home. They let the boys go to school, but they, it, there wasn't money for the girls. So a whole generation of African girls learned to read and write and add and subtract in many of the countries of Africa. And in retrospect, it was a turning point in Africa's development. Now about half the countries in Africa are really doing pretty well. They, they've made progress against poverty. And debt relief was an important step in that change in direction. And what just knocks me out is that I do not think any of that would have happened if Pat Pelham in Birmingham, Alabama, had not responded to the ambitious call of God in her prayers. She didn't do it by herself. They got lots of other churches in Birmingham involved. They went to the Birmingham News and got them to provide editorial support. There were people all over the country through Bread for the World and other church networks that are working to make it happen, but it wouldn't have happened if Pat Pelham hadn't been faithful. Let me mention just another, tell you another story about the power of advocacy. I have a friend named Dave Miner, who is in Indianapolis, Indiana. And uh, Dave hasn't eaten for the last 10 days. Today is the 11th day of a long fast. He had a corporate career, but he took early retirement 10 or 15 years ago and has worked all that time on mainly mobilizing people in Indianapolis to have a more effective system of food assistance to hungry people in Indianapolis and also to defend the, the national nutrition programs, programs like SNAP and school lunches, because they're an important part of that whole system. This year, President Trump uh, and our Congress are pushing for unprecedented cuts in all the programs that help hungry and poor people in our country and around the world. The president's budget calls for two and a half trillion dollars 
to be cut from programs for people of limited means over the next 10 years. Now, it's hard to imagine what would two and a half trillion look, what, what would that mean here in Durham if you take out that kind of a chunk of money out of low-income communities or here in North Carolina? So Dave uh, decided to focus on the cut to SNAP, $150 billion in proposed cuts to SNAP, that is food stamps, over the next 10 years. And he did the math, and it comes out to uh, the extraction of 50 million meals every year for children, seniors, and veterans in Indiana, in the state of, just in the state of Indiana, 50 million meals. And then he felt he felt called to fast, to fast. Um, and he decided, well, I'll give up one meal for every million meals that children, elderly people, and veterans in Indiana, one meal for every million meals that they would give up. So that comes to 50 meals, and that's 16 days. You know, this, I mean, it's very powerful. It's managed, he's gotten some attention, especially in the state of Indiana. He's managed to have personal meetings with the governor of Indiana, with one of the senators of Indiana. Um, it's just a way of dramatizing what these huge cuts that Congress is considering, what those would do in particular communities. Now, I'm not asking you to uh, go without food for 16 days. <laughs> Um, but I am asking you to consider using the extraordinary power we have as U.S. citizens to speak up for people who don't have enough to eat. Use your own judgment about what policies would really help, but there's no question that public policies will make a big difference, for better or worse. <clears throat> and you can, uh, all the evidence shows that if you send an email or make a phone call, or write to your member of Congress, it makes a difference. They pay attention to what people back home are saying. Um, you can, I also invite you to, it really helps if you're part of a network of people, and I invite you to become part of Bread for the World. You can do that by going to our website, which is bread.org. That's easy, bread, like wonderbread.org. <clears throat> or you can, uh, we put some membership flyers at the back of the church, so you can connect that way. Um, there's a very, um, so if you're part of Bread for the World, you'll know that you're part of a collective Christian voice, people of different Christian convictions, but all across the country, who are following some of these issues together. It's really quite powerful. And, and again and again, we're, we're surprised by how much we're able to get done. And then there's also uh, an active Bread for the World network here in Durham and in North Carolina. And after the church, about 15 minutes after the church service, some of us will meet in the, in the chapel conference room. If you're visiting, you can ask somebody where that is. I'm told everybody and most people in church knows where that, know where that is. But we'll, we'll gather there and that'll sort of be Bread for the World 201. You know, we'll, we'll be talking about in more specific ways about what needs to happen here in North Carolina? It happens that all of your, 
all, both of your senators, both the representatives who represent you, are they're on important committees for hungry people, and they have influential roles. Um, so we really need some of you to um, to get active, to be involved in these things from the point of view of hungry people. I think also in this time of real turmoil and danger in our politics, Christian people need to be active in electoral politics. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but we can't sit it out. We need to pick candidates who are good people and help them with money, time, and votes to get into power. Let me just come back to the uh, gospel lesson. You remember the first lesson is about how all of this is grounded in Jesus' forgiving death and resurrection for us, in God's embrace of us. But then in the gospel, today's gospel lesson, our Lord Jesus puts the stress on action. The son who professed loyalty but didn't go out to work did not please the father. And Jesus says to the Pharisees and I think to us what John the Baptist said and that is that the, the kingdom of God is coming into the world. So get with it. Be part of the program. Amen.